I want to share with you this morning something that for me has been probably a long journey and a continued adventure. I want to talk to us this morning. I want to have a conversation with you about the whole concept of wholeness. I don't know if you realize this, and sometimes it's good to be reminded even if we do, but Jesus didn't just come to save you from your sin. Jesus also came so that you could become fully alive. In, in John 10, verse 10, Jesus uses this phrase. He said, I have come that you may have life and life in all its fullness. How are we doing with that? How is that going? And there's a connection between that kind of fullness and our wholeness. In fact, some of the things that hinder us coming into that kind of fullness is the damage, the difficulties, the brokenness, the issues of our heart. And we can pray and fast and declare and all of those things, but there's a connection between what God wants to do and our involvement. And I want to take you to a scripture this morning that I think may help us to work with the Holy Spirit to that end. If you have a Bible with you, go to the Gospel of John, chapter 5, please. We're going to read from verse 1 together. Has everybody got their Bibles switched on? Okay, just checking. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Have you ever had a moment with God where you're trying to move forward and somebody else seems to somehow knuckle in and take it from you? Amen. It's a common reality in our lives. And Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. Have you also, like me, noticed that religion seems to miss the point? Somehow it seems to focus on something other than the main thing that God might be doing. The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. And I'm sure the Lord will bless the reading of his word amongst his people this morning. 
wholeness. Can I be bold enough to say to you that the intentionality of just about everything in our relationship with God is that God would restore in us our truest God-given identity. All that has been lost through a disconnect is available to us through a reconnect with Jesus Christ. And he has given us the Holy Spirit, who, for all kinds of reasons, is the greatest and most glorious help to us in our recovery process. Now, if you're sitting here today and you think you don't need recovery, then we would love to chat with your family. We would imagine that they might have a slightly different perspective than you do on the restoration process. But how are you doing with that? How is that restoration process going? A couple of things to highlight before we go a little bit deeper into this subject is that this story reminds us of some incredible truths that will help us to engage with the restoration and wholeness program of the Holy Spirit a little bit more intentionally. You will notice, like I do, that the man was in a place where the Spirit of God is moving. The angel of the Lord had come and stirred the waters. And if you like, let's use a local or more visible and tangible recognition for us. There was a sense of God's presence. Can I just suggest to you that even if we gather like we do and the presence of God is so powerful as it is, it's no guarantee that you will be healed. Not because God doesn't have the capacity to heal you, because we know with all our hearts that in his presence there is fullness of joy, but God's methodology of healing us is that he would work with us. Jesus, right in the middle of this wonderful moment where the presence of God is moving, asks a very pertinent question. A question I think that is valuable for us to think about today. Do you want to be well? I've been in enough encounter meetings to recognize that I can experience an outpouring of the Holy Spirit and still not be restored. In fact, many times when I've been in revival meetings, I've observed as people who were completely and utterly overwhelmed by God's presence, went straight from those gatherings and those moments without very much change or transformation to their character or their internal world. It is possible for us to be in the presence of God and somehow not connect with the invitation of God to be well. But it's the heart of the Father to bring life to the depths of our soul. God is at work night and day by the power of his Holy Spirit to restore us to all that we were created to be. Someone say amen to that. This particular individual had spent 38 years paralyzed and unable to access what he thought was the blessing of God. Now, there's something about that also that's worthy of our attention. Sometimes we have become so acclimatized to walking in our brokenness that we fail to have the energy or even the desire or capacity to work with God so that we can be transformed. We almost become acclimatized to parts of the deficits in our soul 
compensating by maybe human effort or religious practice. But it's important to highlight to us today that even though our situation may be that we have, in some senses, like the young man in the story, been paralyzed and not energized by life. I love this phrase at the end. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. That's good news for us today because Jesus wants to make us well. In fact, everything about your interaction with him, I believe, is to that end. God desires to bring life and fullness to every part of your being. There is also a clear understanding that not only was the man conditioned by his difficulties, but actually he was looking for some external thing to happen so that he could access his freedom. How many meetings have we been in where we had hoped that the prophet or the pastor or the apostle or the teacher would somehow notice us in the gathering of the saints? We've ducked and we've dived the prayer line. We've maneuvered and reconfigured our lives to be in the orbit or in the vicinity of somebody that we believe carries an anointing. To find that when we were prayed for by that individual, really not a lot changed. Why would that be? Because God can't fix in a moment what it's taken 40 years for you to work through. If God was to completely and utterly transform your life with one prayer, you would be completely disorientated and have really no idea how to navigate your life because you have become acclimatized and accustomed to working with that kind of deficit. Suddenly, when it disappeared, you would have a real identity crisis. Where would you go with that kind of miracle? And while we see God work physically in that realm, because the heart is different than the body, because the soul is different than our physicality, it is God's great pleasure to marinate us in his goodness until our brokenness is restored and repaired. I am delighted that God is in the business of restoring lives. In fact, I am utterly dependent upon that reality because I've tried everything. I've been everywhere. I've had all kinds of people pray for me. But if I have a moment where the Spirit touches me, it is simply but this for me, an invitation to a conversation with God where God begins to make me new. It's not just a simple pat on the back and I go on my weary way. God wants to abide with me. He wants to tabernacle with me. He wants to have fellowship with me. He wants to undo the things that have been done to me. He wants to restore the earth the locusts have eaten. He is intentional and meticulous about every facet of my human soul because he created it. He knitted me together in my mother's womb. I am wonderfully and fearfully made, even if I'm not having a wonderful and fearful day. God is at work in me to bring me to that fullness, to bring me to that awakening, to bring me to that place of restoration. And every time we gather and every time we hear his word and every time we have a devotion and every time the spirit of God moves, there's an invitation attached to that. And it's simply saying this, come a little closer that we may tabernacle together, that I will bring restoration to your soul. Aren't you grateful that God hasn't given up on that in your and my life?
You see, when somebody is made whole physically, they are able to walk. They might find they can run. Some get so free when God works a miracle in that way they jump or they skip. And the truth is also the same for those who are becoming emotionally well. We get to love where we had a love deficit. Have you noticed that when God opens up his love for you, you somehow have a capacity to love those that at one point you struggled to love? Amen. You get to forgive when God begins to restore your soul instead of holding on to everything and battening down the hatches and building a wall around yourself to preserve and protect you from all the interactions that people may or may not have with you. You suddenly have a freedom because you've forgiven those who have hurt you. And in that moment of forgiveness, you're enjoying the wonderful forgiveness of God who consistently and persistently delights to take from us those things that harm us. When you've been made well on the inside, you speak positively. I'll just let that sit in the atmosphere. Because it is well with your soul, it is well with your world. And it's important for us to understand that revival and reformation of who we are begins primarily on the inside. It's not something that we have to wait for on the outside. In fact, I could be a walking revival today if I just allowed the Holy Spirit to have his way. I don't need someone to come to town with a revival ministry. As good as that is, it may catalyst something in me, but actually I can live in the fullness of God as my real definite reality today even if my circumstances haven't changed. You see, we need to know that it can be well with our soul. And if it is well with our soul, it'll be well with our mouth. Because the Bible says that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And there you were all the time trying to guard your mouth from saying things, and it was indeed your heart that needed attention. Sometimes when I listen to people talk, they speak of Jesus in a manner like he might be disinterested. Oh, I've tried this and I've been here and I've resolved in my heart that this is what I have to live with. And I listen to the tone and I realize it's not the tone of heaven. Because the tone of anyone who is connected with God in such a profound way is hope-filled and life-giving. When our soul is alive... We come into the places of blessing that the Father has planned for us. There is a connection between the internal and the external realities of our God. And favor is not just me finding a way, fudging it through life. Favor is me being fully alive on the inside. And therefore, when I arrive in every room I stand in, I get to be fully alive on the outside. You see, spiritual wholeness signifies that I'm changing. I'm changing from one degree of glory to the next. It signifies that I'm growing, that my soul is expanding, that God is working in me and therefore positively working through me. When I'm walking in step with what the Spirit wants to do in regard to my restoration process, I'm right smack bang in the purpose and the will of God. 
for it is intentionality in all my circumstances to work towards that end. Let me just say this over our minds as we think about this process. All things work together for the good of those who love the Lord. And there were you thinking that just the good things worked on your behalf, or or the breakthrough moments, or the blessings that come during the course of our life. No, the scriptures say that all things. Now, if all things work for the good of those who love the Lord, let's unpack that thought for a moment in our journey into fullness and wholeness. That means, in the technical term, all things. Not just some things. Therefore, my attention must be engaging with the art of thinking brilliantly about all things pertaining to my reality. Do you know that God is highly specific and strategic, and he often allows the circumstances of our lives to work to this end, that in spite of it all, through it all, and because he's with us in it all, I love him more at the end of it all. It's his heart to utilize all that happens around me to his main and primary goal for me is that I somehow will become like him, even through the process that sometimes feels quite difficult. So lift up your head, O you gate, and be lifted up, you ancient doors, because no matter what's happening around me, what's happening in me is God's priority. So what fruit of the Spirit is he developing in you? And there you were praying away those frustrations. What is God working on in your soul right now? Is it forgiveness? You see, sometimes I think people in the church are quick to forgive, but they're very lousy at forgetting. And listen to what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He keeps no record of wrongs. And there you were, you've got a diary full Dates, times, places, and people. Of course, I know it's for prayer purposes. (laughs) So he wants us well. And he wants us free. And he wants us whole. And he's working in me. And he's working for me. And my circumstances play a part in the formation of Christ within my soul. I am not a victim to the world. I'm a victor in Christ Jesus for all things have been overcome by him. All things. So how are you doing on the journey? I feel that God would ask us this question. I think it's a great question because it strips away all of the paraphernalia and gets right to the core issues of our lives. Do you want to get well? Now, the presence of God is moving here. The man has a condition that has conditioned him to give him a perspective on a world that is something he has to navigate And Jesus is standing in the middle of it all, and he asks that question. That environment is part of that question. The man's response is hugely important. Because God works with you on the restoration process. 
God has subjected the advances of his purposes to your partnership. Now, we need to pay attention to that because some of us have what I call a Peter Pan theology. Oh, don't worry. Let me explain what it is. You don't need to look it up in your Bible. It's not there. (laughs) Here's our theology, and we probably wouldn't say it out loud, but we sometimes believe things like this. It'll all pan out in the end. But church, it doesn't pan out in the end. Let me explain why. Because God has subjected the advances of his purposes in your life to the partnership, relationship, friendship, and connectivity that you have with him. We're not fatalists. We are people who believe in the sovereignty of God, absolutely, but we partner with that sovereignty so that his kingdom can come And therefore, in me and through me, his will can be done. What Jesus is simply asking this young man is, do you want to be complete? For 30 odd years now, I have been involved in ministry. And I've sat in environments where I've listened to story after story of people who started out gloriously in the kingdom of God to find and to discover with great sadness that something happened during the course of that journey that took and seized that person's life and led it in a different direction. Was it because their preaching wasn't cutting edge and contemporary? I fear not some of these individuals that I refer to are at the peak of their capacity in their communication ability. Was it that they were greedy and ended up glorifying in what God was doing and not submitting to the fact and reality that God works through broken vessels? Well, perhaps maybe there's some truth in that, but most people I hear of who have fallen from what we call grace have fallen for one reason and one reason only. That in their attempts to take care of the church, they somehow have not taken care of themselves. See, people come to me all the time and they say things like this. I don't know how I ended up having an affair with her. I just fell into sin. It was almost like an accident. And I respond with this. And did you also accidentally phone the hotel? three weeks in advance and booked the honeymoon suite? Did you accidentally talk to that young lady four times a day for the last six months? How accidental is sin? You see, out of the overflow of our hearts, some things feel okay. But Jeremiah tells us that a heart above all things is deceitful. For when our hearts are aligned with what we want to happen, it's difficult for us to see reason or logic or even spiritual clarity. We are almost defined by the little choices that we make that lead us towards that end game. So great men and women of God with passion that burn in their souls 
have found themselves on the rocks of life. And if they, who spend all of their life working in this kind of environment, can end up in a place like that, then surely someone like you or I are not beyond that capacity. What is our safeguard is simply this. Allow God. Connect with God. Fellowship with God. Be honest and vulnerable and real with God. Make sure you have some people around you who keep you accountable. I love the church. We talk about accountability like it's some kind of contract where you have to report to me. This is what I think about accountability. Accountability for me is this, is me keeping you accountable to your ability. In Christ Jesus, you can make decisions about all things, but one of the greatest you will ever make is to allow him to have access to all areas. For some of us have moved jobs a hundred times, blaming everyone around us, and we need to pay attention. It might actually be you. Some of us have been in 15 relationships, and we haven't found a man who's worthy of our princess state. It might just will be that you're not a princess after all. And any illusion regarding that has not been helpful to you because princes are few and far between. And you may have to kiss a myriad of frogs before they translate into something of that stature. People have left churches because they can't find a church where they feel valued or significant or indeed welcomed fully and embraced for who they truly are, in spite of the fact that who they have now become isn't who they truly are. And they go to the greatest lengths trying to find the answer externally, but the answer might be internal after all. You see, I work on the principle, if one person tells me something, I'll just pay attention. If two people tell me the same thing, I'll pay more attention. If five people tell me the same thing, I need some restoration. So do you want to be well? It's not easy to change, but it's worth it. And you can't change without the help and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He empowers us to do that. You see, if this young man had received his healing physically, and we're talking about emotional healing, his whole life would have changed. I mean, he'd been in a routine day after day. It was almost defined on a regular basis by his difficulties. One time I was in a tent crusade, and a lady came forward who had arthritic pain. In fact, she had such terrible arthritic pain, everything about the physicality of her body looked and had an evidence that she was in excruciating pain. And she came forward with her sticks and she navigated herself to the front. And the pastor prayed for her. I was the worship leader. And when she was prayed for, her body started to shake violently and she got completely healed of arthritis. One of the ushers who was serving at that time went straight over to her 
and said to her, how incredible is this? And she said, yes, it is incredible. But what about my benefits? What about my mobility? What about the house that I live in? And the young lady who was trying to help this elderly lady said, don't worry about any of those things. God is the supplier of all your needs. Listen to me, church. Before she reached the back of the tent, she was back the way she was before the healing took place. You see, sometimes we cry out to God for healing, but if God was to heal us as he desires to, everything would shift and change. And some of the props in our lives that we've become accustomed to through the brokenness of our soul actually may be stripped away. And without those props, sometimes we don't make the decision to journey onward. When you're healed by God, everything changes. It's his desire to make all things new. So how are we doing? Do you want to be well? I know we have a desire for that. I know we have postured ourselves many times for God to do that. And I wonder, have we settled and allowed ourselves the luxury of thinking, well, it may never actually happen. It's a bit like doing a jigsaw puzzle and there's hundreds of pieces and there's one missing. Let me ask you the question, would you be excited about that? No, the truth is you would pay more attention to the one that was missing than the 499 that have been completed. Sometimes we've grown accustomed to living with our brokenness. We've been acclimatized by it. We've orientated our lives around it. We've navigated our world through it. But the Spirit of God is relentless in pursuit of anything in your life that does not reflect Christ. Aren't you grateful for that? Aren't you fearful that God would just move in power in a great way for that to happen? Come on. It's good for us to be made well. In fact, for me to be made well actually means that I have access to some of the blessings of God. And I am a work in progress. Aren't you relieved? You know, you think I'm rough now. You should have met me 30 years ago. This is the new improved me. It's an extended model, I grant you. But it's the new and improved me. God has done a wonderful work. And that's not to my credit. It's just been my agreement. I've wanted to partner with him to that end. And I've had loads of opportunities to camp. Loads of opportunities. You know, if I was to measure some of my internal world to some of my colleagues' internal worlds, I think I'm doing okay. But he who began a good work in us, Philippians 1 verse 6, will carry it on until it's completed. I may be satisfied that I'm a little better than I am, but God is restless in his pursuit of bringing me to fullness. So do you want to be made well? <laughs> if you allow God to do what he wants to do and you partner with him to that end, you'll be a much better wife 
or husband or friend or daughter. As God unpacks the truth of who you are, you'll be so alive that you'll be infectious. Infectious with hope and life and truth. How about this? Joy. And not only is that good for you, but it's really good for the people around you. They say behind every successful husband, there's a surprised wife. <laughs> and sometimes we're so accustomed with living with the gap between who we tell the world we are and who we truly, truly are that we don't realize that God works in the gap. You see, I don't want to stand on a platform and say all manner of things that may or may not be helpful to people. And actually, when I go home, I'm a different person. I don't want to speak about joy here and be the most miserable so-and-so in my front room. I don't want to be talking about God's goodness and spend all my time on the sofa being critical about what's not working in my life. I need to allow the Spirit to work in the gap. I want my wife to look at me when I'm standing here and look at me when I'm sitting there and think the same things about me, that he is who he says he is. There's an authenticity to the reality that he lives with God. That doesn't mean I'm perfect. It doesn't mean I've worked it all out. It just means that I'm working with the Spirit so that there isn't that deficit in my soul where I present to the world my greatest and most glorious face. While at home, I'm living something quite differently. I want my daughter to grow up in an environment where she knows that what she sees on the platform is what she's seeing in the front room. They're not different people. This is not some act or performance that actually God had done such a work in me that no matter what environment I'm in, I behave accordingly. Do you want to be well? You see, being whole is not just about my own personal restoration. Here's what it does for those around you. It offers hope. Because the people that know you the best, they know how difficult it is for you to be full of God. They know the cost. They know the investment you've made. They know the circumstances you've gone through. And if they can see you alive, they have hope. They have an expectation and they have an invitation from God that it might actually be possible for them to be free too. I am convinced that when the church is well, we start to affect the world more gloriously. I am utterly persuaded that when I'm living in abundance, I'm much more used to God than when I'm living in my lack. When I stand in the place where my soul is well and God has made things new, I stand in a place that declares a new world order and he might just do it for you. As I rise up in the healing power of the Holy Spirit to be free from all kinds of things, I lift the bar for everybody around me and I say, you don't no longer to live down here. Come up here and enjoy the favor and the goodness of God. One of my greatest priorities as an individual and as a pastor is to ensure that the people that God has placed around my life get every opportunity to be well. Because as you grow in your wholeness, you also grow in your effectualness. And the goal of every gathering and every reading and every time we gather together in this way is that God would make us like him. How many of us know there's a little work to do? But he's not just the Alpha 
He is the Omega. He who began this great thing in you will carry it on until it's completed. And church, listen, such will be the work of the Spirit that one day you will meet with him and the Bible tell us that you will be like him. I've met lots of spectacular people. I'm looking at a few now. People that are celebrities, people who are phenomenal in the gift, people who are talented, people who are exceptional in their capacity for certain things. One such person passed away in this last week. You may have heard of him. His name is Freddie Starr. He could command thousands of people with laughter and joy and all kinds of things. And according to the press, and I just want to put your minds at rest, he never ate any hamster. But in all of the greatness, there was brokenness. And every time the accolades came, there was a part of his nature that somehow wasn't able to embrace that fully because he was flawed internally, quite broken as an individual. Some of the most beautiful, incredible, talented people never reach their fullest and most glorious potential because they never pay attention to the part of them that restricts what God can do through them. It is time for the church to get well. It's time for us to prioritize our internal world. We're so busy trying to navigate our external world and your internal world requires your attention right now. It says that Jesus is returning for a bride that is spotless without blemish or wrinkle. That's your internal world. There is a connection between holiness and wholeness. If I truly desire to be holy, I need to be made whole. Because some of the reasons my unholiness is evident is because I have deficits and brokenness and difficulties internally. I need God to move in me. I need to work with him and partner with him until he has made things new. The psalmist David writes these words. He's writing them over the state of his life. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hoping God. Our hope is in God. It's not in our capacity to fathom the difficulties or even who or hasn't abandoned us, rejected us, or despised us. We do not have the ability to fully come to terms with those things except that our hope is in God. If my hope is in God, I enter my world on a daily basis with a predisposed outcome. No matter what happens to me, greater is the God who is in me than anything that is around me. My hope is not in a counselor, for I have a counselor. His name is the Holy Spirit. And as good as other and external counselors may be, there is no one who knows me the way he knows me. He was there when I was knitted together in my mother's womb. He's part of the fingerprints all over my life of my original design. And if anything's lost or hidden or damaged or broken, it is he and he alone who knows where to find it. For he will not forsake a thing about my life because God has determined that I would be fully alive. So if my soul is downcast, if my internal world is broken, 
I need to speak to it and call it into agreement and alignment and say, come back to God for your waywardness has produced nothing but anarchy. Let your submission produce his glory. As you come into partnership with him, he will work with you extensively. And he has profound plans to prosper and to bless you, to give you a hope and ensure a great future for you. My soul may be damaged, but my God is perfect. My life may have been trashed, but he is my treasure. My hope is not in the external realities of my life, but the internal relationship that I've been afforded with Christ. My hope is in the one who has risen above all things, who has conquered death and sin and everything known to our human state and has gone to be with the Father seated at his right hand and he will come in glory and judge all things for himself. So I will praise him. For he is the one who helps my countenance. I will praise him and I will praise him and I will praise him and I will praise him. And what the psalmist is saying is this, I will not let the unproductive, broken feelings of my heart determine the decisions that I make on a daily basis. I will not let the negativity and the anarchy of my soul determine the plan that God has predestined for me. I will bring my feelings, my emotions, my experiences into alignment with the goodness of my God. I will partner with His goodness until His goodness becomes my reality. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Church, I encourage you, do not neglect the health of your soul. It's the foundation to all that God wants to do in and through you. And if your body was out of control, you'd get a personal trainer. You'd go to a gym. Well, apparently that's what people do. And you would work to your greatest extent with your effort and your intentionality to bring your body back into the place where it's intended to be. If you would do that with your body, which is perishable and one day won't be here, why would you not do that with your soul? Because your soul determines so much of what God wants to do it can restrict what God has to give you. It can cause you to go away from the things of God because your brokenness can sometimes end up defining you. But in his presence, in the midst of our incapacity, there is a God who desires to heal me. And he is relentless in his pursuit of me. Just a couple of things to finish with. Teach your soul to be quiet. Psalm 62 verse 5 says, my soul will wait silently for God alone. You think the answer to the distractions of your life and the brokenness of your soul is more activity? Well, all the best with that. To know him in his fullness, you have to be still. 
You have to shut down the voices, get rid of the distractions, make a priority your time with him so that his character can be formed in your mortal frame. Teach your soul to be quiet. Second thing you need to do is educate your soul. It's not good for a soul to be without knowledge. Proverbs 19 verse 2 says this, Some pursue intellectual knowledge in order to build their lives, but fail to see the value of educating their soul. You can have degrees, doctorates, but ultimately it's what your soul knows that will direct the course of your life, positively or negatively. The Lord is good. Third thing, fill your soul with hope. Hebrews 6 verse 19 says, The hope we have is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. You see, if I'm full of hope, it means that I'm hope-filled. And in every circumstance I face, hope can be the outcome. I'm not tossed about by the circumstances or situations I faced. Fourth thing to teach your soul is to boast in the goodness of God. Psalm 34 verse 2 says this, My soul, my soul, my soul, my soul shall make its boast in the Lord. What that means is condition your internal world by the reality of your beautiful God. Allow his truth to permeate, marinate, and saturate you with such a sense of his goodness that no matter what happens to you today or tomorrow, you know that he who is with you is greater than anything that is against you. And teach your soul to be accountable. It's time to stop the blame game. Can I just say to you that there's nobody coming. If you're waiting for a quick fix to a lifelong problem, there's nobody coming. We're not Peter Pan. We're not Tinkerbell with a magic wand. But you have one who abides in you, who abides with you, who is the teacher, who will bring all things to the surface of your life according to God's plan and his purpose. Stop blaming everybody else and take responsibility for your own emotions. You see, I have a phrase. It served me well. You have heard it said that bad things happen to good people. Is that not true? But this is my preferred thought. Good people happen to bad things. When the church rises up in this way, we're more effectual in relationships. We're more open to the fullness and the blessings that God wants to bring. We're walking in a consistent place of changing from one degree of glory to the next, to the next. We have a testimony every week of our lives of something that God is doing and changing and transforming. Our minds begin to come into a place of wellness and healing where we're not anxious of heart or thought for he will cause our minds to be fixed on him in such a way that it becomes well in our internal reality. When we step into a problem, we're obsessed with his promise. Our perspective is one of hope and joy and expectation, for we know that the God who has done a great thing in me might actually turn up and do a wonderful thing through me. When I live with that kind of consistency, and I'm moving towards a more Christ-like reality. 
I know that I can sleep at night and know that it is well with my soul. God, who began a great thing, desires to complete it. I ask you this question as I close. Do you want to be well? Will you work with him? Partner with him and allow his kingdom to come to such a point that you start to reflect who he is to the, love, the people you love and the world around you.